Welcome to the Bagwell Center podcast. This podcast features lectures and symposia hosted by the Bagwell Center for the Study of Markets and Economic Opportunity at Kennesaw State University. The Bagwell Center's mission is to provide a platform for an interdisciplinary study of the importance of markets and economic institutions in regard to resource allocation, entrepreneurial activity, economic prosperity, and improved human welfare. Through extracurricular outreach activities such as guest lectures, film screenings, workshops, fellowships, and reading groups, the Bagwell Center places an emphasis on educating students about the foundations of market institutions and examining the related impact of government policy in a mixed economy. For more information about the Bagwell Center and its programs, please visit coles.kennesaw.edu slash econop. All right. Thank you all for the opportunity to be with you today. Um, I'm going to kill this for, for right now because I don't have a PowerPoint presentation and just talk to you some. Uh, I've entitled my portion of the program Criminal Justice. You call that a system? Uh, we talk about the criminal justice system, but I've been a practitioner now. I was a police officer. I was a juvenile probation officer. I'm still a member of the Georgia Bar. I've been an attorney for about 40 years now, and I've been fortunate for the last couple of decades to also be able to climb up into the ivory tower of academe and look down on the system that I, that I worked in. So uh, I've got this sort of dual perspective, and I don't want my remarks to come across as cynical because the system such as it is is not perfect, but I have come to realize it's the best in the world, and yet there is still room for improvement, so that's part of what I'm going to talk about, and of course that's part of what we try to do here at KSU and in other criminal justice programs around the country is to prepare a future generation of criminal justice professionals, whether they be law enforcement or lawyers or correctional officials, who will make the system even better. But it's certainly got its flaws and its faults. But please keep that in mind that I've worked in it my whole life. It has been my whole professional life. So I'm not here to diss a system that has been very good to me and given me lots of marvelous opportunities to work with people and hopefully to make a difference myself. All right. When I hear the term system, I think of something that is greater than the sum of its parts. There are various components that when they're fit together or connected or plugged together in some way serve to produce an outcome of some type. You think of a desktop computer. You've got a central processing unit and a keyboard and a mouse and a printer and a monitor and maybe external speakers and some other peripherals as they call them. And when you plug them all together, you expect that they're going to work, whether it's to produce a Word document or to allow you to you know, play a game or whatever. In my case, I plug them all together and nothing happens, and I pick up the phone and I call my son, Nick, who's got a degree in computer science, and say, all right, Nick, I paid for your tuition. I need some help. All right? <laughs> But the whole idea is that everything is supposed to contribute to one outcome. Right? The problem with considering criminal justice as a system is multiple. Right? First of all, the three components are what we call the three C's, cops, courts, and corrections. 
law enforcement, the judiciary, and corrections, which is jail, prison, probation, and parole. Right? One of the problems with looking at this as a system is that there is no one boss. There is no criminal justice czar in the United States. First of all, our system of government works against that. Right? We've got a separation of powers, and we've got a very strong emphasis on, as much as possible, putting government in local control. And that's because of our history with merry old England, where everything was in the hands of a king, some of whom were literally quite insane, and who seemed primarily interested in draining resources off of the American colonies and then oppressing anyone who dared to speak up against the government. So you have to appreciate that our system of government is in part a reaction to the horrible experiences that our forefathers and foremothers had as colonists of, a, of an empire. Right? But the police don't work for the same people that the judges work for, and the judges don't work for the same people that the correctional officials work for. In fact, some of these folks don't have bosses other than the electorate, other than the public. Sheriffs are elected. In Georgia, virtually all judges, even appellate court judges, are elected. In the correctional system in Georgia, Commissioner is appointed, but he is appointed by a governor who is elected. So you really can't get more than one or two steps away from the political process if you are a manager or leader in criminal justice, whether it's at the local, the state, or the federal level. But because there is no central authority that's in charge of all of it, there's no one boss that you can go to to say, hey, boss, we need to fix this, we need to fix that. Okay? We all work for different people. Second problem is just a problem with government in general. There's competition for limited resources. The pie that is cut into so many slices primarily comes from we, the taxpayers. And we don't like it when they try to make that pie bigger, do we? So there is a lot of pressure to keep that pie, you know, the budget, at a certain size and leave it at that. But if one segment, we can say even just one of the three C's, if say the, well, Cobb County, for example, has both a county police department and a county sheriff's office. They both do law enforcement. They do some different things. And you know, there's not a war between the two agencies. They get along remarkably well. That's not, not, not always the case in counties in Georgia that have both a sheriff's office and a police department. But here, fortunately for years, the two agencies have gotten along well, and frankly, there's plenty of work for everybody. But both agencies, county police, county sheriff, get their money from the budget that is doled out by the Cobb County Board of Commissioners. So at budget time, both agencies go up and say, we need more because. But there's also a library system. There's also a county department of transportation. There's also a parks and recreation department. Uh, there are also schools. And everybody has needs. And they're legitimate. Right? But if the pie stays at this size, if we give a bigger slice to parks and recreation, that means there are smaller slices for law enforcement and the courts and so on. All right? So even though the competition, fortunately, most of the time is... I guess you could say friendly. 
right? There's not open warfare between the different county or city departments, usually, about budget. But there's still this sense that we're going to be robbing Peter to pay Paul. If the court system gets a, a, a new uh, uh, software program that costs millions of dollars, that means there's less money for new police officers or new police cars. And that's just the way it is. All right? So you've got no big boss, you've got competition for resources, and then you've got conflicting or at least inconsistent goals. The three C's aren't really there to do the same thing. When I was a police officer and I made an arrest, I can promise you I never gave a thought to how is this arrest going to affect overcrowding in the Cobb County Jail. And I worked organized crime for a while and we did raids sometimes. I, I locked up, I, I and my colleagues locked up as many as 25 people at one time in a raid on a casino, an illegal casino in, in Mableton. And it was either a Friday or a Saturday night. And imagine the joy on the faces of the people at the jail intake when we come traipsing in with 25 additional people for them to process in addition with all the usual weekend drunks and, you know, wife beaters and, and what have you. All right? But we don't call ahead to make a reservation. We don't say, hey, are you going to have room this Friday night? You know, we're planning on executing a search warrant, and we're probably going to lock up a bunch of folks. Is it okay if we drop by and, you know, drop these people off? We do our job. The judiciary, the court system, they're there to see that people's rights are protected. They're there to see that people get, hopefully, a fair shake in terms of trial. One thing to bear in mind, a lot of people don't realize this, more than 90% of all criminal cases in this country are resolved not with a trial, but with a plea bargain. In the federal system, the number is up around 97%. So all that law and order stuff that you see on TV, it makes for good drama, but that's not the reality of American criminal justice. I tell my students that the practice of law in this country, both civil and criminal, is much more about negotiation than it is about litigation. Most cases are resolved by negotiating a plea. It's just like buying a car or a house. The district attorney goes high, the defendant goes low, and they meet somewhere in the middle. And there's nothing corrupt or wrong about that, in my opinion. You do not want all of those cases to go to trial. You can't afford that much justice, if you want to call it that. And truth be told, there is justice in this because all of the players, with the possible exception of the poor victim, have a say in the outcome if, the, if a plea is negotiated. It's a win-win for the prosecution and the defense, and it's also a win for we, the taxpayers, because a plea bargain is much less costly than a trial. I tried a custody case in juvenile court one time that lasted eight days. I was on a jury in a divorce case years ago. Lucky me. That lasted six and a half days. And you all paid for the nya 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 he said, she said, 
And guess what we, the jury, did when we got in the jury room? Split it right down the middle. And we said, these people at one time loved one another. They had children together, but now they hate each other so much that they're willing to let total strangers decide who gets their property. Georgia's one of the few states that allows a jury trial in divorce cases. You don't decide child custody. That's still left up to the Superior Court judge. But we wasted six and a half days of y'all's money letting these two people back and forth. Now, fortunately, one thing that has changed since then is that mediation is mandatory. Y'all pay for a professional mediator to try to work out all that nyanyanyanya stuff, and then we'll try only those things that you can't work out at your expense at about 500 bucks an hour in mediation. And believe me, that cha-ching, cha-ching gets people to come to an agreement pretty quickly. They're starting to do that in criminal cases as well. Let's try the things, only those things, that the prosecutor and the defense can't work out by negotiating prior to bringing in juries and court clerks and bailiffs and tying up the judge's calendar and what have you. All right? But the goal of the judiciary is to see that justice is served, to make sure that Hopefully, only the right people are convicted of crime, and that appropriate sentences are meted out. And then the third C, corrections, those poor folks get whatever is sent to them. They can't say we're full. They can't say we're closed. They can't say come back next week when we might be able to find a bed. Right now, the Georgia correctional system is about 10% over capacity. There's about 10% more, and, and everybody in prison in Georgia has been convicted of a felony. Right, so these are the more serious offenders. So there are 10% more people than we really have bed spaces for. Right? And we are paying for that as taxpayers. I think perhaps the biggest problem with our system is that the public has unrealistic, unrealistic expectations as to what the three C's can do. Law enforcement can't really do a whole lot about the causes of crime. Cops can't fix poverty. Cops can't fix drug addiction. Cops can't fix the forces that cause people to engage in domestic violence or child abuse or what have you. We are reactive primarily. Right? Something bad happens, who are you going to call? It ain't Ghostbusters. And police get called out on all kinds. The only good news is that apparently cats stuck in trees are still within the province of the fire department. Right? But everything else you call the cops, right? whether it's a wreck, whether it's an abused child, whether it's a murder, whether it's an armed robbery. Call the police and expect them to do something about it. But only about 20% of what police do is actually in the realm of what we call crime control. 80% is order maintenance and, and other things like you know, directing traffic and, and, and so on. Right? But the police can't fix the things that cause most crimes to occur. And many of the serious crimes occur out of the sight of law enforcement. So merely putting more cops in more cars on more street corners isn't going to prevent domestic violence or child abuse or substance abuse. 
there have been plenty of studies that, where that's been attempted, and it's made very little difference in either the crime rate or in the public perception of the, of the seriousness of crime or the volume of crime. What do we want the judges to do? Lock them up? Do you think a man or a woman in a black robe banging a gavel saying, you will not be a drug addict, you will not be a domestic abuse, abuser, do you think that's going to change that person? It doesn't work that way. Our adversarial system of justice isn't really designed to fix anything. It's designed merely to bring people to justice and to punish them in what we hope is an appropriate manner, but it doesn't really fix them. And in the correctional system, what do we do there primarily? We warehouse people. We incapacitate them so that they can't prey upon others, but we don't do what needs to be done to fix them. And what a lot of Americans don't realize is that almost everybody who goes in eventually comes out. And my take is that if you don't do something to change them, to fix them from the time they go in till the time they come out, they're in crime school for two years, three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years. And they are not productive citizens. They're not taxpayers. They're not husbands and wives and mothers and fathers and workers. They're a drain on the system. You know how much of a drain? In Georgia alone, we spend $1.1 billion a year just to keep people locked up. That's more than $20,000 a year per inmate. And sometimes I've thought, and you know, this is just a, an exercise in thinking, okay? I'm not really proposing this. But we could take everyone in a Georgia prison system right now and say, look, we're going to let you out. And if you behave for 12 months, we're going to give you $20,000 in cash. You can't rob anybody. You can't use any illegal drugs. You can't molest any children. You can't burglarize houses. You can't drive drunk. If you promise to be good, you can sit at home. You can eat Cheetos. You can watch Kardashians. You can play video games all day long. If you do nothing to harm your fellow citizens, we will pay you at the end of 12 months $20,000. And you know what? We, the taxpayers, will save money. That's how much we spend on a system that doesn't work. How do I know it doesn't work? Because in Georgia, the recidivism rate, the rate at which people go back to prison within three years, is around 30%. Nationwide, it approaches 70%. But we keep doing it. Why? Because we're spending taxpayer money. And because we have this attitude that, well, if we put them in prison, something will change. Nothing's changing. Nothing is different. So I think the primary reason, the most significant reason that the criminal justice system is not a system is our own fault. It's because we have these unreasonable expectations of what the system is going to be able to do to bring about change in the lives of individuals who go into the system, individuals who come out of the system. Take a look at this.
You know what that is? It's a Samsung 7. Why does it look that way? Because that's what they did spontaneously. If you remember, the, the FAA prohibited people from carrying these things on airlines after a while. They don't sell them anymore. Because this is the way they tended to end up. But we don't sell these anymore because they failed. Yes, sir. All right, a new version. All right, that's the key. That's the key. That's the key. All right, but but what if, what if you send that back to the factory and say, we, we refurbished it, here you go. Would you take it back? Would you buy one knowing that others were like that? That's what we're doing with human beings when we send them through the criminal justice system. We're saying, yeah, at least a third of you in Georgia and two-thirds of you nationwide, we'll hang on to you for a while, we'll put you out, you'll be back within three years. And remember, that means that there's been another victim and another case in court. 75% of the people who go through the system are indigent and are entitled to court-appointed counsel, which means they get a lawyer at whose expense? Raise your hand. Ours. Why do we keep doing this? Why don't we insist on some changes? Well, fortunately, and on a high note, there are some changes coming about. One, in the field of law enforcement, new emphasis on community policing. New emphasis on a partnership between the community and law enforcement, and getting the community involved in a lot of proactive things to reduce crime. In the court systems, we have some new initiatives, things called accountability courts. You may have heard of drug courts, but there are also mental health courts, there are veterans courts, there are other courts to address the needs of people who obviously have problems beyond the criminal justice system's ability to solve them, and making it not so much an adversarial process as a collaborative process to try to address the root causes of these folks' criminality. And in corrections, there are some new initiatives as well. And there's my segue into the, introdu- into the uh, presentation by my friend and colleague, Jim McCafferty. Jim's, gonna, Jim's a specialist on corrections, and he's going to talk to you about some of the good news in the field of corrections. So I'm going to shut up and turn it over to Jim. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to the Bagwell Center podcast. For more content like this, please be sure to subscribe. And for more information about the Bagwell Center and its programs, please visit us online at coles.kennesaw.edu econop.